<laughs> yeah, it's another episode of the Crypto Radar podcast, and today we have uh, a big story of a guest, uh, Hugo Renaudin. Have I pronounced your name right there, Hugo? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. You, you can say Renaudin. It's the English version. Renaudin. Okay, okay. I'll do my best. My my, my French <laughs> isn't great. <laughs> um, Hugo Renaudin, the the founder and CEO of the LGO Exchange. Um, Welcome to the Crypto Radar podcast, Hugo. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. Your um, your story is quite the it was quite a, an amazing one. You, I, what I have here, as I understand it, eight months after leaving the army, the French army, you went you went into the financial world, and then pretty quickly after, then ditched that to to join the crypto world is that is that have i got that right yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a there's a bit more details to that but uh but yeah so basically uh, so I, I grew up in france um and in france we have this weird system where basically uh, if you after after high school you know you have uh, two choices you can go to university like uh, like uh, like in the us or like anywhere in the world or you can choose to do uh, to work very hard for two years to try to get like access to like the, the like the top schools uh, in terms of uh, what you learn and so forth. So that's what I did. And uh, the school I was in was uh, was linked to the army. It's an officer school. Uh, it's called Polytechnique, and it was a. Uh, so yeah, we did. Uh, I did like a bit less than a year in the army, and that was a, a good experience. I was a. Uh, uh, I was uh, like eighteen or nineteen at the time, and so I was in a lieutenant. That was a great experience. Like. Like funny stories. I, I was in. Uh, I was uh, so I did like a bit of training in France, and then I spent some times in the in the French West Indies. You know, so there's a couple of islands uh, in the Caribbean that are that are French, and there I had to take care of a, a platoon of, uh, of 30, uh, 30 young soldiers uh, from uh, from Guadeloupe. So that that was a uh, pretty pretty interesting from a human perspective. You know. Uh, now you say taking care of young soldiers. You were what maybe two years older than these guys. Like I was like almost like I think in average I was younger than these guys. You know, I was, <laughs> I was nineteen. You know, and like the, the only thing I had done in my life was to study and to do math and stuff like that. So that was a uh, <laughs> that was uh, quite interesting and it was a good experience. Um, and then after that, so I went back to like let's say a normal life. Uh, and got interested in, in in finance, like many people that um, that study math do. Um, and so that I tried, you know, I did a couple of stuff uh, there uh, that was interesting. And and I met uh, Bitcoin, and so that that's been my that's been my focus ever since. Um, what was the what was the hook for you? What was what was the appeal of cryptocurrency for you from a from a traditional finance perspective? So th- there's there's two. There's two things I think that, that was interesting. That were interesting to me. So the the, the first one, obviously, the technology, mm-hmm. um, and you know, coming having a technological background, you know, kind of understanding the the blockchain aspect, the, the you know, Bitcoin. Like when I first heard about it, which was in uh, around 2014, it was kind of an intriguing world, right? Because it was a, there was not a lot of stuff uh, publicly available for like complete newbies in this space, you know. So that like we had to dig dig for that and that was quite interesting and so you know that that intrigued me and like you know I, obviously i don't have i didn't have at the time the 
the, like the experience of people that have 10, 15 years in finance that know what works, what, what doesn't work. But still, I was intrigued by the, by the technology and the ecosystem. And, and the second reason, I think, was for me, you know, I, I was uh, like in my like early 20s. I was like, okay, so this is something where there's not a lot of competition. This is something where, um, you know, there, there's not a lot of people looking into that. And so for a young guy like me, if I, if I get interested into, in that, if I start to build into that, there's a big opportunity as well. Sure. Try and build something. So, right. so you're, I mean, you're coming from the world of like BlackRock and um, in France, correct my pronunciation if it's wrong, but the financier de l'échiquier. Yeah. And that's uh, basically your institutional uh, investment in France, if I'm right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what do you see from there that, you know, has, you've carried over to your world in, in cryptocurrency? Because uh, my feeling is that the, your experience in the institutional world is kind of your asset that you've brought along with you. Yeah, I think the, so, so first I don't have like a ton of experience in this world. So like it would be a, a lie to say that, you know, I, I bring a ton of experience, but what I, I think just the, the understanding of how things work, you know, how people organize themselves, what's the relationship between, you know, an asset manager, a custodian, an exchange, a prime broker, like all, all this, this, uh, this kind of market infrastructure, which is, which can be uh, quite um, uh, complicated to understand if you're not coming from this world or you don't have at least a first uh, uh, first idea of how things work and I, I, I had the opportunity as well to work in uh, on a trading floor for uh, you know uh, for a brief amount of time and in, in the FX space and that was a, a huge moment in terms of learning in terms of understanding how people react to the market um, and you know just just understanding you know like the this industry how people think how the different uh, structures work together and, and that's something that I so obviously, I learned at this time, at this stage. I'm still, you know, like obviously, you learn every day in this in this uh, in this industry. But you know, that, that's the the thing that I, I think I brought that 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 is very useful to me right now. It's to understand the, the relationship between um, different institutional players, between investors, between uh, you know retail uh, kind of investors as well. You know how they come into play into this big ecosystem, and, and so that, that's that's what I. Uh, that's the main takeaway of my years in uh, working in finance. Right. So, so, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm so, I mean, this is kind of interesting. So LGO must have been, I'm not sure. When did you launch? Was it in 2017? So we did, uh, the, the company started in 2017. We did an ICO, uh, which uh, ended on February, 2018. And the platform has been live for 18 months now. Right. Okay. So you would have been fairly early on in recognizing that there was a need for a platform that institutional investors would trust. Yep. It seems to me. Yes. So, so when we, um, so that's interesting because w when we launched that, um, so I launched that with uh, my business partner, Frédéric Montagnon, who's uh, uh, like a bit older than me and has uh, created several startups in the, in the ad tech space. And so, we were looking at this 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 problem with, you know, almost a fresh uh, a fresh view because like, again, we don't have like dozens of years of experience in traditional finance, so it's like you can you kind of have this advantage where you can think with fresh ideas about this this uh, a specific problem. And what we were seeing at the time, you know, like we we're coming from the the empty gox experience. We we're coming from from the, this world where there was a lot of manipulation of prices, and you know, especially in 2017. Uh, that was like pre uh, pre bubble and during the bubble as well, and, and so we're like okay, so 
there's something there. There's definitely interest uh, in this space. What is missing, right? What do we need uh, for uh, BlackRock or for a large hedge fund to come into this space and um, and trade? Because that's where the value is. Like that's where the big money is gonna is gonna come from. Sure. And at the at the very beginning, you know, like kind of our approach was to say, okay, there's this big problem, which is the problem of transparency. And if this tra- problem of transparency is not solved, right? If there's not a transparent price formation, if if there's a, no transparency in terms of how the assets of the clients are held, how things work together, well, things are not going to happen. So that was kind of our our first thesis, um, which has obviously evolved with uh, you know with what we have now, which is experience uh, with uh, real life clients. But that was the the, the 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 start of our thesis, and and we 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 oriented the ICO on that. Uh, so how to solve those transparency issues with technology. Right. And so that's something that we've done. In, you know, with the blockchain technology, we can guarantee the transparency of everything that happens on our platform. That was really the, 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 the starting point. And, and I do remember at the time when we, when we launched that, there were a lot of people that were talking about institutional money coming in and, and so forth. And I think the, you know, looking back, obviously, 20, 2017, 2018 was not the, the time when this thing where, where it was bound to happen. And probably it's gonna, probably going to happen into, until, you know, a couple of years. But that's um, that's really how we approach that at, at the time, right? Right. And do you? So, if I can just sort of get a, a glimpse of, do you see uh, yourself competing with backed uh, CME? Are they are they kind of now your competitors? It's a little bit different because the 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 way we uh, we approach the market right now is that we focus on on the crypto native institutions. So we're, oh. we're not CME in the sense that you know like. It, it, like today, if I'm a, if I'm an institutional investor, it's way easier for me to buy to buy a future, right? If I want to have exposure on, on Bitcoin, I'll buy a future. It's going to clear through, like the, the 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 pipes that I already have for all the futures that I trade with CME. So that's that's relatively easy. Uh, holding physical Bitcoin, you know, uh, getting used to uh, to other kinds of regulation, other kind of products, you know, like there's no there's no Eisen code for Bitcoin, which is like from an accounting perspective for for those guys, it's, it's a big deal. And so for them, it's, it's way easier to use like BACT or CME because they have products which are regulated and work like any, any future. So our, you know, our approach is to say, okay, you know what, we're probably not going to focus too much on these guys. And anyway, you know, for, for an early stage company like us, it's like you, you go into like RFPs that can last for months and you know, you're not even sure that they're going to trade. So what, what we decided to do was to focus on, on what we call crypto native institutions. So okay. that's hedge funds, OTC desks, crypto asset managers, you know, like the people that come from this crypto, this crypto space and that act, that, that have businesses that are very similar to like businesses that you have in traditional finance, but it's, it's for crypto. And so they trade, they're used to, uh, to trading on exchanges that have a subpar service compared to, our, to us. So that's uh, where we can really have a, an effect. How does this connect to the whole concept of uh, using stable coins and kind of enhancing trade via stable coins? I know that's something that's close to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started the exchange, um, you know, like it's, it's uh, we were wondering about what, which assets to list and, you know, how to approach uh, the assets we make available to our clients. And, and, and very early on, we were lucky because we, we had good feedback from, from our close clients and our close market makers, and we realized for that, that for the crypto native institution institutional world, there's two types of assets that matter, and that's 
with which you can uh, capture like perhaps like 80, if not 90% of the flow, it's Bitcoin and stable coins. Uh, Bitcoin, why? Because it's a liquid market. There's a lot of trading. Um, uh, you have, you know, you can do, uh, you can be a fund and have only a strategy on Bitcoin and that's going to work. You can hedge on a, var a variety of different instruments. There's options, there's futures, there's a spot, obviously, but there's, so it's it's really like Bitcoin is king in the in the crypto institutional uh, world. So, so obviously we're going to list that. And then um, we realized very early on that there was a problem. You know, we were doing regular Bitcoin to USD stuff, and like it's a problem because clients cannot uh, withdraw during the weekend. They cannot deposit their funds. Like it takes time. You know, like there's the whole Fedwire system. So, and at the time it was the launch of USDC packs, and so we we, we listed that, and, and and that was very interesting because. Um, uh, we saw obviously that you know there was an uptake in an adoption of those stable coins. Today, I mean, we only trade in stable coins. Like the USD aspect of a BTC USD pair is only uh, done through stable coins, and that has a a big impact. So that's on the trading of, of Bitcoin. Along the way, something that we've um, that we've realized is, especially talking with uh, clients in Asia and in South America is that there was a huge demand for uh, stable coins, even stable coins like Tether. And, and at the time, we were a bit surprised because, you know, you had all this controversy about uh, Tether holdings and, and all that. And I think that since, since there was the, um, the lawsuit against Bitfinex and Tether, like the, the market cap of, of Tether has done 9x, which is huge. Like it's like $9 billion. It was at $1 billion before. And so we're quite curious about that and, and, and we kind of discovered this use case where you have people that are in country, you know, in countries like uh, uh, Colombia, Brazil, Mexico, you know, like South American countries and, and they want to have access to, um, to a USD denominated uh, kind of instrument, which is easy to use. And, and Tether and stablecoins are extremely uh, useful for that matter. And so that, that's, that's, a, that's a big focus that we've had lately. Uh, in our expansion to South America and with our clients, you know, everywhere, it's to to be uh, one of the best liquidity providers for uh, for stablecoin. Paul and I have kind of debated about this before, and we've talked about you know are stablecoins, you know, in the end, a threat to these other to Bitcoin, for example, you know, and um, I think I was saying something along the lines of, well, to me, they complement each other, right? You know, they're 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 uh, like peanut butter and jelly in a sense. But uh, Paul, I I forget what your stance was on that. What were your thoughts on that? I um, but actually I remember the conversation a little differently. That maybe you may be right, and I, my memory may be failing <laughs> me. Um, no, I was I was sort of my my question uh, around this is to do a stable coins actually a threat to to fiat currency. Because as, as Hugo mm, okay. just, just described, they're clearly easier to, or pe they're perceived in certain, some parts of the world as being easier to get, to get a hold of than. than I think it really depends figure. on, yeah, it, I would say it depends on how the, because there's stable coin and stable coin, right? So like you have Tether, which is a stable coin, which is a non-regulated stable coin and widely available. And I, that's why they have so much success, uh, you know, or to, to or around the world because it's it's very easy to get and, and there's the early mover advantage as well. But mm -hmm. the fact that you don't have to KYC to to redeem or like you know like those kind of stuff like it makes it easy to to use. And when you look on the other side of the spectrum, um, you have like central banks, CBDCs, and things like that, which really work in a, a closed network at the end of the day. 
And so that streamlines the current oper- like you know a currently existing network of of transfer like SEPA in Europe or like the Fed wire system in, in the US. It j- makes it more efficient for sure, but it's not the same uh, use case as a non-regulated or decentralized uh, stablecoin like uh, you know like DynWire. So where where would you, for example, where does Circle, where does USDC fall into that? I would say it's like more on the, it's obviously on the regulated side of things Mm -hmm. uh, because that's the stance uh, uh, that they have. So it's, if you, if you buy USDC, it's, it's, it's great. uh, And and it's like, it it solves a lot of issues. uh, But at the end of the day, you still need to be compliant with uh, US laws if you want to have actual USD and and you need to have a bank account as well. And one thing that is, that I find fascinating in, in this uh, in this space is that you know, there's a lot of countries where people don't have access to capital markets. So they don't have access to a US bank account, but they cannot invest in anything either. So they, they have their investment. Like if you have money in, in such a country, you invest in a brick and mortar business, you know, invest in the local economy, but you cannot really, um, uh, you know, if you're like, a, a, you know, you're doing well in, in a small business, but you know, you're not super rich so that you have a, a broker like, that can that can give you access to to stock markets and things like that you know like there's not a lot of things you can do with your money and so you cannot reinvest it in the economy like you can do in the US and i think that's the the strength of the US system and and what this let's say technology what this uh, this kind of asset allow to do is that anyone with a mobile phone can technically have access to a USD bank account a euro bank account uh, yield uh, capital markets if you know if one day we tokenize like all kinds of uh, stocks or, 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 or bonds or whatever it is. So like it, it completely opens the way to uh, a completely open uh, financial market for everyone to, to interact with. And, and that's, that's really the, the, the value uh, for, for, for these kinds of assets. And do you see then um, say the less developed world or those without access to capital markets as being the first drivers of, of the mainstream use of, of cryptocurrencies as investment vehicles i don't think so i don't think it's a tail end stuff like i don't think the tail end drives the adoption you know okay. um but it's definitely the tail end that benefits more uh you know like if you don't have a bank account but a, a cell phone like i mean all the benefits of a bank account on the cell phone that changes your life uh, but I, I wouldn't say that those are the people that that drive things the most i think as in everything it comes with the the biggest player so um, if you have a, a big, you know, a, a big firm or a big company, which is, you know, which starts using stable coins to, you know, send dollar to their subsidiaries in different countries, you know, like that could be a big driver of adoption. And if more and more companies do that, it's, it, it becomes a more and more interesting. And just a side note, but what Circle has done with like their kind of business account for USDC, I think that's very smart because that goes completely in this, uh, in this, uh, in this um, theory. So I would say like the adoption of, 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 of stable coins in general in the infrastructure will come through like big players, whether it's, you know, the Libra consortium through Facebook or whether it's a CBDC, whether it's JP Morgan with a, a JPM coin, like I think it will start with uh, like big players trying to, to democratize that. And then at the end of the day, the, the tail end will obviously benefit from that. Right. Okay. And what you are your s- thoughts on, sorry, go ahead, Paul. Sorry, but I just wanted to, to, to close on the Tether thing. Do you think yep. that Tether fears have completely disappeared? Do people care anymore that uh, there's no attestations? We're not, because there's still no, um, 
it's still fairly opaque whether whether they're actually backed by deposits. Have those fears completely dissipated? Uh, I, I would say that yeah, that there some some of our clients don't really like to to use tether because there there's this risk which creates a lot of volatility that you cannot really hedge, right? Sure. Because like yeah. it, it, like one day you can learn that okay, like there's a there's hundred percent of the holdings, which is fine. Or one day you can learn that there's like a 70, 80, 60, whatever it is. Um, so that's that's a the, the volatility. Has, the the fact that the volatility is not so um, understandable, to be honest, is a can be a problem for especially for liquidity providers and and, and people that try to price this. Uh, but from a, an end client perspective, they're only using that as a medium. Like sure. it's a you know you get tether transferred to someone, you get something else in return. So. What matters is that from the moment you use that as a medium, you know, like it doesn't devaluate too much, but it's it's like, a, yeah, it, you, you don't buy and hold tether, like, or at least not that I've seen of, you know, that there's very few people that do so. It's a kind of, it's a medium, right? For moving yeah. from one thing to another. Yeah. I was going to ask you about um, centrally, central bank uh, digital currencies. What are your thoughts on kind of the talk about that and the trend to see like a digital yuan and they're talking about digital USD possibly. I think, uh, isn't, uh, what's his name, Giancarlo? I think he's talking about that today, isn't that mm. with the, there's some something going on today with that. But anyhow, uh, your thoughts on uh, CBDCs? Uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, obviously it's a great, like it's a great opportunity for, uh, like frankly speaking for, for states and for central banks, like just giving a, you know, one, one example, like in the US, like the, there was a stimulus check that was sent to uh, to uh, American citizens uh, in the country. I mean, from an operational perspective, that's a nightmare to do because like you need to, like, you need to uh, find the register of all the, the, the people that are eligible, which is like in and of itself complicated to do. Then you have to uh, ask the banks to do that. Uh, same thing for businesses, you know, like there was the payment protection program so that, those are the banks that do that because the state cannot do it directly. Right. So, you know, that, that creates a layer of intermediation. It's a lot of work for all the intermediaries, of course. Uh, and it's not the most, uh, the most transparent and, and, and straightforward way. And I think that if I remember correctly, in the first draft of the stimulus plan, there was this plan of digital dollar uh, mm-hmm. issued by the Fed. And I think it's quite interesting that it, come, it comes there. So you replace that by a, a smart contract or uh, a, a token, you know, infrastructure where all the citizens have a wallet and like you just, you know, you write a line of code, you edit it, you press enter and that's it. You know, people have their, their, their assets. I think it's like just from an operational perspective, it makes things so much easier. So that, that's a, a big opportunity for, for like to use a technology uh, for government or central bank and to make things better and, and, and more efficient. That's number one. Number two for the crypto ecosystem. I think it's, um, it's like the, I would say the, the analogy that I would use is it's a, it's a Trojan horse because like if you, if you work with um, a central bank and if you're, you're coming from crypto, you work with a central bank to help them understand like, you know, like what's a wallet, how you do a blockchain transaction, blah, 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 you know, how that, how all that works. And if that works properly, well, the central bank is going to drag the adoption of a blockchain infrastructure. And today that's really what's, what's lacking because like, you know, we, we know we know the the space. We know what Bitcoin is. We know what blockchain transaction is. But if you like, even today in 2020, if you don't know, uh, you know how to do a blockchain transaction, it's it's extremely clunky from a user experience perspective. You know, like think of these people that work in in, in traditional banks. And, I mean, understanding what the wallet is, you know, what how to secure a private key and all that. That's that's extremely difficult to do. And and 
they're not going to do it for Bitcoin, you know. But if the if the central bank, like if the European Central Bank, or if the if the if the Fed, sorry, start issuing um, currencies on, on a blockchain, well, they'll have to make this step, this infrastructure step, to adapt to you know to let's say tokenized assets in general. And once they have this this uh, this infrastructure, well, it's very easy for them to accept Bitcoin. It's not an infrastructure problem. It's just like you know, do we want to do this or not? Like it's not can we or can we not? It's like do we want to do it? And so that's, um, I think that's something that the, 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 the crypto community and, and companies in general working in the crypto space should, should try to, to push for, you know, to help people understand how those technologies work, how those assets work, so that in the end, the infrastructure is there and it's more business for crypto in general. Hmm. Okay. Do you think about the threat to, you know, say private banks or to just privacy, uh, surveillance issues? What do you think about yeah. all that stuff? So, yeah, that's, that's uh, and that's a, completely fair concern and like it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword like it can be a stablecoin can be like a big instrument of uh, financial freedom anybody can have access to a bank account with like a with with a, with a smartphone so that can be very uh, very uh, yeah very very good a very good thing or it can be a very negative thing it can be like an, an instrument of almost oppression right a financial oppression where basically the government knows what you're what you've been buying with who you've been transacting and there's always two sides of the same coin, right? But like even more so there. And so I, I think the, the, the privacy aspect and the, the governance of the, of the network is, is absolutely key in how you, uh, in how you implement a CBDC. Right. I'm not sure whether I don't, I haven't decided yet whether I'm more or less comfortable with the government knowing what I spend my money on than say Visa or MasterCard knowing what I spend my money on. I haven't, I haven't decided what makes me more uncomfortable. Uh, but you do still have the anonymity of cash as of now, which you yeah. do not in the case of a CBC, CBDC that basically. Sure, but I haven't used cash in years. Right. <laughs> well, we where you live, that might be okay, but maybe not if you're in a place that's, you know, oppressive for whatever reason. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But you can still have a, like the, the privacy coins like uh, Monero, Zcash. I think they're here to stay just because of yeah. that, just because of this, uh, this, this fear. And, and even when you look at Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is not so private anymore. No, it's not. No. That's right. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. They think it's anonymous, right? No, it's, yeah. You, you can, you have so much insights, like much more than, than just cash if you, if you know how to look. Yes. Right. So privacy coins are here to stay. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think yeah. so. And the, 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 it's, it's going to be the, uh, the everlasting battle between, uh, you know, like governments or service providers, like w will they accept a privacy coin as a, as an exchange versus a, a fiat currency? Because like the usability of a, like today, you know, same as with Bitcoin, you know, like it's, it's very difficult to buy a coffee with Monero. And so you need like either intermediaries that change the Monero in dollar or you need businesses that accept Monero. And so that's that's the, the problem of adoption, like the same cycle over and over again, same thing with Bitcoin. Uh, but like here, the fact that with Monero, you cannot really trace a transaction makes it a little bit more difficult. But it's not so different than cash, that businesses accepting cash. So, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. be, uh, there's some interesting innovations with Lightning Network technology and those kinds of things that might enable some more privacy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good yeah. Point. So, Paul, are we going to go into our uh, definitely not financial advice little uh, segment here? Is that our next? Do, do, here? Do, 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 definitely not financial advice. So, Hugo, every week 
For every episode, we do a definitely not financial advice segment. Uh, and we're going to sort of put you on the spot in, in uh, this week as well, if, if, you, if you care to partake, in which we make a prediction and we bet, I bet 8 trillion Verge tokens, which is about 37 cents, last count, against Darren's 48 million trons, which is worth something like, uh, what, $1.37 or something? Ooh, I'm up on it because I won the last bet, didn't I? You did win the last bet. Yeah. 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 Um, and however, my form hasn't been great, Hugo. We've, we've, we've both been wrong. Darren got one right once, you know, and we've done this a number of times. So I'm. Which is why we call it definitely not financial advice. Yeah, it is absolutely definitely. It is definitely not financial advice. What I'm going to do this week, though, in the definitely not financial advice section, is definitely not financial advice. I'm hunkering down on my last call which is Bitcoin is price bound in this range, at least until next year. And you see, I was saying, uh, if Bitcoin can hold at 9,000, that's very bullish. And uh, my feeling is that late August, now of course this is again, we're talking longer term here again. We used to do the like one week time span and we realized yeah. that didn't work so well. Um, <laughs> it's impossible to get a prediction we in that kept, short of a time span. <laughs> but um, my thought is that by late August, we're going to be looking at uh, Bitcoin breaking uh, past 12,000 USD. I think it'll hold here at nine. It might take a dip as low as 7,800 is my feeling that that's kind of where there's the most uh, buying and selling action and support before it rebounds and rebounds. Once it hits 10, it'll hold there for a little bit, a little bit of resistance, and then pow, it's going to break through. Kind of like last summer. Last summer, I think it went up to 14 or so. Right. This is based on your uh, extensive abilities in technical analysis, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. Super yeah. duper. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy O made me look like a fool when I tried to. <laughs> well, you still got it right. <laughs> I was right, though, and she agreed with me. So. Yes. Yeah. The other one that was interesting to me was this whole craze going on with Compound and DeFi. Yeah, yeah. This just had this enormous boom, and it had a really strange moment of extreme volatility. I don't know if you've seen this. I just saw. I saw it today. Yeah. I, I don't know what the story is to that yet, but no, it I've went from to a total value locked at one point six seven billion, way like half, down, half. like less yeah. than eight hundred million. But I cannot find any evidence of what's going on there exactly. I just know that the total value locked in D5 has basically fallen by half. It could just be a blip, it could just be some kind of liquidity issue. Um, but I feel that uh, it feels it is like weird. that's a the little doesn't... overbought. If that's just some kind of weird glitch, then that's fine. But I'm feeling like there's too much hype there. I don't know, I feel like that'll pull back. Well, what are compound... your Compound dominance is now at 37%. So they're not, it's not maker dominance anymore. It's compound. Right, dominance. right, right. Like, like but if we you look at Tron dominance, right? Yeah. If you look at AV or AAVE, they had an enormous jump in one day, a 40% yeah. jump. So I don't know what's going on there. There's something strange happening. Um, but I feel like it's a little overbought right now, hyped up. Uh, any predictions from you, Hugo? Um, the predictions. So the compressed for me, like I, it's it's the the way I invest in Bitcoin. You know, I, I don't I don't try to time the market. So to me, it's like is it going up or is it going down? So for me, it's going up. Obviously, like where I don't know, but like uh, honestly, uh, I think that more than 
80% of my uh, net worth is in uh, is in BTC, so I hope it's going it's going high. Um, you know, the way I see things, like the the the, the, the micro, it's it's fascinating what's happening to me with uh, Robinhood these days, like mm. the Robinhood effect on markets, mm. uh, the fact that you have people that make bets and have a lot of available income because like you have those stimulus checks and, and, and whatnot, you know, and, and they're making crazy bets, which completely derail the price of assets with the underlying value. Like it makes you think that, you know, this is something that could be just a, a trend because like people are like, they have, it's just, you know, kind of weird times, but it can also be like something that can be a bit, uh, a bit longer term. So, Bottom line, if uh, companies like Hertz can do uh, 500% in a, in a couple of days, I think Bitcoin can definitely do 500% in a couple of months. Okay, so <laughs> Cirque du Soleil is your next big investment? Is that what you're telling me? I think they um, went into I'm bankruptcy only... protection today. So, you know, that's our next, our next big buy. Yeah, so that's, um, but yeah, that's, that's a bit crazy. So That was crazy, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you, you know, like, it's it's definitely the time for Bitcoin. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we break past the, you know, the, the $15,000 in a couple of months. Um, oh, see, Hugo's with me. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm quite right, bullish right. for the end of the year, honestly. Quite yeah. and so Hugo, uh, five years from now, where are we? What's the ecosystem? Is everybody using it? Everybody's, uh, it's normal to, to be spending Bitcoin, stable coins, buying coffee with Monero. What, what, where do you see yeah. things going? So in first, if you ask me in 2015, where are we going to be in 2020? I would have never guessed you know, what would be, what would okay. be happening. To me. So I, I would say, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was one country that would adopt Bitcoin as a, as a currency, right? Especially a, a, a country which is extremely dollarized or Bitcoin or another asset, you know, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like that would be a bit, it's probably not five years, perhaps 10 years, but you know, like a country which is completely, which has no local currency whatsoever. Like it's not used. Uh, the, the, the people in this country use, uh, use, uh, use dollars. So, so you know, why not use Bitcoin? Um, I think the infrastructure, uh, the infrastructure switch will come much faster than we think, especially with the CBDC aspect. So, you know, you, you, the, the whole payment rail ecosystem, which is extremely complex and key as well in, in how we make payments today, uh, is in five years time, will include uh, some, again, some aspect of crypto transaction, crypto payments, which will make it extremely easy for people to use a credit card and pay with Bitcoin, for instance, which today is completely, like, it's very difficult to do. So those, like, kind of uh, uh, lower level uh, innovations that will be done. I think the infrastructure will be there. Um, and yeah, we'll see about stablecoin adoption, but hopefully, you know, like we'll have real currency uh, issued in, uh, in tokens on whichever blockchain the central bank choo chooses, but like not just like cash or, um, or, or bills, you know, like actual tokens. So that's, that's what I would, uh, I would think like infrastructure, you know, figured out people can, uh, can very easy to create a, to, to use uh, crypto and, and stable coins as part of your business. One country that uses Bitcoin as a semi-official uh, currency or that holds Bitcoin in their reserve, which is to me the same thing more or less. Yeah. Um, and yeah, perhaps like the adoption of, uh, of more um, of DeFi as a, as a broader uh, business, you know, like today, you know, like if you're, if you're a regular business, you know, you don't have like the, the financial aspect. 
But when you think about it, Uber, Lyft, they're providing financial services to their drivers. They're providing like semi-banking services to their drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why not provide a yield or an interest-bearing uh, uh, compound account to your your clients, to to your employees through the use of DeFi? So that, that, that could be something that... Uh, that develops in the fight in the next five years as well. Right. That's, that's cool. That's great. So a dollarized country you're talking, I mean, I can think of a few Cambodia is one Zimbabwe is another, you, 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 you're talking a country like that. Yeah. That depends on, it, it depends on the, the relationships that the relationship that they have with the U S and, and, okay. and you know what they do, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised perhaps a more conservative bet would be to say that one country will hold Bitcoin in their reserves, like yeah. mm. will hold Bitcoin in their reserves in five years. That's a more mm. conservative bet. And I think that that definitely can happen. I could see some interesting, maybe like hash wars, you know, where, you know, certain countries start mining it more. Yeah. You know, like Iran's been talking about that more. And, you know, if they can get into that and get away from uh, having to settle in American money or whatever, see yeah, some potential there. No, that's a good point. Yeah. That might come sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hugo, it was great to have you on. We'd love to invite you back five years from now to see how much of what you said today turns out. Um, it was, it was really, uh, um, thanks for joining us here on the crypto radar podcast. We really appreciate it. We'd like to get a nice eclectic blend of guests to, um, to talk to and congratulations on, on your exchange and, and good luck uh, with everything in the future. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And that is another episode of the Crypto Radar podcast, folks, done and dusted. Subscribe subscribe down below and uh, leave comments and make your own predictions. Where are we in five years from now in the crypto space? Thanks for joining us. See you guys later.